0: To Connecting Citizens to Science, a podcast from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine about engaging communities in global health research. I'm Kim Ozano.
1: And I'm B. Eggard,
2: and throughout this series, we'll be talking to researchers from around the world, exploring how they connect with people to address a range of challenges in global health.
0: Hello and welcome to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. I'm Kim Ozano, and over the last four episodes in the TV series, we've been exploring how TB Science and Research has been aiming to connect with communities. In this week's episode, we have the honor and privilege of speaking to someone who has lived experience of TB, who can add depth and understanding of the impact that TB can have on a person's life. Pumeza is willing and happy to share her story from the perspective of a TB survivor. Before we begin, I will introduce my co-host. Hi, Rona. How are you today?
2: I am very fine, Kim. It is a pleasure, as always, to be on the hosting side with you. A good day to our guests and to our listeners. We're back with another fantastic episode and I'm uh, I'm really excited. My name is Rona Mijumbi, a Senior Lecturer of Public Policy at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. In my days as a frontline physician and as a researcher, I came face to face with TB in several ways uh, you know, and at different times. And now as a policy analyst and advocate for research going into policies, I can't emphasize how important it is listening to and learning from the voices we have today. I'm really excited, Kim.
0: Fantastic. Me too. So let's get straight into it then. Pumeza, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your background and just an overview of some of the work you do?
1: Well, thank you, Kim. So um, yes, as you said, my name is Pumeza Tisile. I am actually an ex drtb survivor and I am currently working with TB Proof as an advocacy officer, a research assistant, project lead. And um, so yes, uh, I'm based in Cape Town, South Africa.
0: Thank you, Pumeza. Could you tell us a bit more about what it means to be an advocacy officer?
1: So what it means to be an advocacy officer, especially with a lived experience of TB, is that I am able to connect with with my work in in a way that any other person can't. I mean, I know what it means to have TB. I know what it means when someone, I'm listening to someone telling my story of having TB. I know the frustrations of having TB and stuff like that. So being an advocacy officer for me is being able to stand in a room and talk about what's wrong with TB, what needs to be done with TB. So yes, to me, that's what it means to be an advocate of this.
0: Thank you very much. That really helps me and our listeners understand kind of what you do. And some of the other roles you do, can you just tell us a bit more about that?
1: So yes, so um, I'm also a research assistant at, uh, at my workplace, TB Probe. So we are currently trying to understand types of stigma that TB patients face when they go through the treatment, be it they face stigma in the communities or they face stigma at home or at the, at the healthcare facilities. So, we're trying to see what kind of stigma that people experience and how this affects the, the, their right to take the medication that they are supposed to take. So, that's that's that. And also, now we are finished with that part of the research. So, now we are doing, notice something while we're doing the research that people struggle with mental illnesses there are still things that people sort of like, they try to let it go. But then when we talk to them again, when we're we're interviewing them, we see that TV really affected their well-being. And it's something that it's part of them. They can't let go, but they need to heal. They need to move on because, yes, TB happened. Yes, TB is devastating. There are side effects that that are irreversible, for instance. There are side effects that can make you disabled for life. So there is a lots and lots of need of, of research when it comes to TB, mental health and TB, and also with substance use because sometimes people cope in ways that they, they you know, in ways that they, they help themselves. Some they use uh, so that they, they sort of like forget they use alcohol, they, they use drugs, stuff like that. So yes, while we were doing this research for stigma, we found something else. And that now we are dealing with that, with that, something which is mental health and TB.
0: It sounds like very important research and something actually we haven't explored too much in this series. So we will definitely be looking into that a bit more. So Pumeza, one of the things we would like to understand is more how you came from the position of having lived experience with TB, and uh, kind of the history around that and, and how it was for you and your story. And then we would like to hear how you ended up doing this amazing work as a research officer, as an advocacy uh, officer as well. So if you could just talk us through that journey and, and how it materialized for you, that would be really interesting.
1: Okay, so yes. So uh, the year was 2010, and at the time I was a first-year um, student at the university. You know, I saw that I was not well, I was not coughing, I was not sweating, meaning I did not have the obvious uh, TB symptoms. So I went to the private doctor, and then the doctor, they checked for all common diseases, including um, HIV, But uh, they don't check for TB because it's a private doctor. And then the results, they all came back negative, said that there was nothing wrong with me. Although the doctor was saying that I was losing weight, like I was thin, I was weak. So then he said, no, I need to go to the public clinic. And then that's where I get to to cough out uh, the sputum. And then at the time, I had to wait for like three weeks to get the results. And at this point, I was way too sick. Just mind you, at the at the private doctor, I was only given like a panado pain medication, although I was not in pain. So it didn't really make sense as to why I was given pain medication. But anyway, I had to wait for results. And then the results actually came back. And then the results said I had no TB. The results, they said it was a negative sputum. But then one doctor just checked me and said, no, you are not okay. I was like, yes, I am not okay. And then they said I must go to a checks x-ray. And then I remembered coming back with my x-ray and then they just said wow this is bad you know that's what they said wow this is bad and then they said yes this is tb and then you'll be started with what they call i think pulmonary tb treatment but then i called it normal tb it was about because i was i was thin it it was three big tablets and then some supplements so i took those tablets i was not getting better so I had to I, I had to go back to the clinic again so that they can see that I was not getting better, and at this point they were confused as to why because you have TB, you are sure that you have TB, but then you're not responding to this uh, this is normal TB tablets, and then they had to test me again. I had to cough out, and then again there was a waiting period of three weeks to get the results, and then I was called that the results came back that I need to go to the clinic, and then they told me that I have MDR TB. I was like, okay, what is that? They say it has multi-resistant TB and then you'll be on treatment for at least two years. But then because you are weak, you need to be hospitalized. I was like, okay, that sounds reasonable. And then the next thing I know, there were about 20 to 30 tablets in front of me. And then the nurse said I need to go and do an injection. So in my mind, I was like, okay, these tablets are probably for the whole week because, I mean, who takes 20 tablets, 30 tablets a day? They told me, no, you need to take all these tablets now. And then I was like, how? Because, I mean, take 30 tablets now, and then after that you have to go to the injection. I'm like, no, the doctor will explain. Just that, take these tablets now, and then come to me, and then I'll give you an injection. So I think it took about me about an hour to down all of those tablets. And then the doctor explained that I will need to take these tablets every day for two years, and also I will need to take the injection every day for six months. Now, in my mind, I thought, no, this must be some kind of a joke because injection every day for six months, I mean, how is that even possible? And then they were like, yes, you, you need to, but then you can't go back home. They told me that I need to go to the hospital because um, I'm weak and then they need to monitor me. Fine, I went to the hospital. It was called Procurentia Hospital here in Cape Town, TB Hospital. And then I stayed there. I stayed there for almost a year and a half. So while I was in hospital, you know, the first time, and then they, you know, they they sort of like tell okay, you'll be staying here for at least, they say, you'll stay there for a month, which was a lie. But then I stayed more than that. And then I remember one morning I I woke up and, uh, you know, I went to the bathroom, I flushed, there was no sound. It was very odd. And then, you know, just opening the tap, there was no sound. Was like, okay, maybe there's something stuck in my ear. So the, our nurse came and so that they can give us our tablets. And then the nurse was talking, but there was no sound coming out of her mouth of what was sharing. Was like, I don't think I can hear you. I, I can't hear you. And then the nurse just sort of like ran out, came back again with the paper and a pen. And then she wrote down that I must go to the audio department to have my ears tested there. And then I remember I was so confused. What was happening? Why can't I hear? Was there something stuck in my ears? What's going on? So I went to the audio department with someone else. And then I, they were talking. I, I don't know what they were saying because I could not hear. And then the audiologist put those big earphones to test my hearing. And then I just remember them writing DEF, DEAF, D-E-A-F, capital letters, on my folder. And then they write down now that I have to go to the doctor and then the doctor had to explain. So, yes, I went to the doctor The doctor explained in writing, because now I was the only one doing the talking, although I could not hear myself, very, very odd experience, and then the doctor was writing that uh, they were very sorry, I got uh, irreversible hearing loss, and that there's nothing they can do. And then I was sitting there like, okay, i am like reading this wrong, this cannot be happening, so then I was told that I, I need to move from that ward of MDR. Now I have to go to the ward called pre-XDR, which is pre extensive which I TB. So at this ward, I was checked again as if I was a new patient. And then they saw something unusual in my lungs. And then they were writing to me that it might be cancer, it might be tumor, but then I need to go to the other hospital called Horteskir here in Cape Town. And then... Likely enough, it was not cancer or It was just some building. It was just some liquid, you know, building up in my lungs. I was like, why? But they, they could not explain that in writing. But anyway, I ended up doing the surgery to do that. Remember, I'm deaf. Now I'm doing surgery to, to suck up the, the liquid in my lungs. And then while they were doing the surgery, they broke one of my ribs and my lungs, punctured because it was so tiny. So, um, I got better anyway with all of that, I was then sent to to the TB hospital. I was better, I was responding to treatment, which is pre-external treatment. They finally were able to discharge me after almost over a year, and I had to go back home to take my tablets at the nearest clinic. So, I was taking my tablets, you know, almost on the finish line, and then I saw the doctors talking among themselves, and then I was waiting there longer than I should. And then there was already something typed out for me to read. They told me that in writing that um, the treatment I was taking was not effective and that I need to change it and that I need to be hospitalized again and that this treatment I was taking, there's 20% chance of surviving it. But they also mentioned something that there is a drug, but this drug is not approved yet. But um, um, it's up to me if I want to take this drug. I was like, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I'll try this drug. And then I did, I was put on, a, it's called a, a hospice, you know, hospice, that's the that's word of the hospital. And then I took this drug and then they were almost on and off with the drug. It worked. And then I think at some point I was even told to consult a priest so that I can prepare my soul because there was no way I was going to survive, you know, having this, this thing. So anyway, I, I, they gave me a choice again, either to want to continue with the drug or stop with the drug. I was like, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I'll continue taking the drug. But for some reason, it started working well. I didn't have any side effects. I was okay. And then I got cured after three years and eight months on, on, on treatment, which is treatment for normal TB, MDR-TB, pre-XDR-TB, XDR-TB. It all took three years and eight months. And I was chilled. You know, I was chilled like they were celebrating because wow, twenty percent chance of surviving it, and then you made it. But then there was one thing, I wanted to go back to school. Remember, I was a first-year student and I got sick, but then I couldn't because I I was deaf. Well, I'm still deaf, I consider myself as deaf. But then I, I you know I like to search stuff. So I was Googling how to get your hearing back. So I see all those those things on on online on Google, you must put something in your ears, blah, blah, blah. And then I saw something called cochlear implants, and then I saw the price was like half a million rands. That's like 40,000 US dollars. <laughs> I do not have that kind of money. But anyway, because I was already sharing my story, blogging about my story, we, we sort of like did with my group of supporters, sort of like did a crowdfunding. And now I can hear using both. Uh, I have two cochlear implants now. I can hear clearly. It's like having my hearing back, but it's even better now. So I was able to go back to school. I studied at UCT, University of Cape Town. I have a degree in social science. And then, yes, I think you asked something about why I'm doing this kind of work. So yes, I, I choose social science because now my passion was people. Something was not right when it came to TV. Something needed to be done. Someone needed to say something. And that person was me. And then I was given this, this many platforms, global platforms, national platforms, platforms where I could engage with, with with you know, and key stakeholders when it comes to TB, where I can engage with physicians, doctors, where I can engage with people who actually make the drug, you know, pharma companies, where I told them, what's the point of you making a drug for TB that won't be, you know, affordable for the person who needs the drug? What's the point of that? And you can see in the room that they were uncomfortable, but someone had to say something because this was unaccept- unacceptable and it still is not acceptable at this point. So, yes, that is my, my story. I should have like it because it's a long, long story, but it's shortly.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I think from my point, what's so interesting is that in each of the episodes where we've heard from experts, they've talked about complex treatment or difficult treatment and diagnosis, but I think we never anticipated the scale of what that means for an individual. You know, to face the misdiagnosis, the hearing loss, the the fear of um, death and and whether your life was going to continue as you once knew it. And then to research and raise money yourself and become this advocate is an amazing story.
1: So I also forgot something with the drugs. It's not like you're going to take the drugs and then you will have a good day. No, you'll vomit every day. You will vomit every day. It's not like, no, today You will take a break. No vomiting today because the drug decide, no idea. I mean, 20 tablets in your stomach. Sometimes you don't even want to take those tablets. You know, sometimes they advise you to crush them, you know, crush all of those 20 different colors, imagine, and then put them in a yogurt. I hate yogurt to this day because I used to do that. There's a juice that, that they sell here in South Africa called Oros. I used to do that. You know, I tried everything that to make sure that the drugs are in my skin, but I hate the smell of yogurt. I hate that juice. I hate I haven't taken tablets in a while. Although now I prefer the capsule because they have no taste. But any other tablet I, I, I don't think I can take it because it makes me so nauseous. I I don't want I don't want to take those tablets. It can be a pain medication like you know pain medication like panaro, but no I'd rather have the pain and it will pass because there's no way I'm swallowing another tablet. After having to swallow tablets for three years and eight months.
0: I can I can to understand that completely. And one of the questions I was going to ask is how, how is your daily life right now? After going through that experience, you're obviously very busy and you have, you know, such a active role in changing the TV experience for others. Is, 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 that, is your life manageable now or is it still complex? You've mentioned already a few things that will stay with you forever.
1: So I think one thing that took away my life, for instance, it was the hearing loss because I was actually deaf for five years. So I lost, I would say I lost five years of my life, but then I got that back through cochlear implants and then I wanted to do a difference. So then um, I think I met TV Proof at one of the conferences. They were like, you know what, do you want to work with us? I was like, sure. I'll do that. I didn't know what that means at the time. But then they told me that you because your story is so powerful, it can change many things, you know. Like for one, um, South Africa was was the first country to actually stop the use of the injection because of voices like myself and also other voices and also the the petition that TB Proof did so that you can hand it over to our Department of Trade and Industry so that they, so that they can I'd like switch the injection with the new drug that was available at the time called the pedaqualine. So the South Africa was the first country to stop the use of injection because it didn't make sense to me. And then they also told me that the injection I was taking, it was not even effective the treatment. So it was not helping me in any way. I could have just not taken it in the first place. But because they didn't know at the time, I had to take it and risk having you know irreversible hearing loss and also another thing i still get messages on on my facebook on my twitter people asking me to, you know to help them to get cochlear implants sure i wish i can but then i don't have that type of money what i can do is that you no, know, ask them to share their stories but people want to be anonymous they don't want to be known because there's also a lot of stigma attached to tv so, yes, I still get those messages. I, I still sort of like try to make people to share their stories. There's nothing to be ashamed of of having TV. It's just TV is in the air. I mean, everyone who breathes can actually get TV. I mean, people should understand this. It doesn't choose a certain kind of people. Anyone who breathes can actually catch TV. So, yes, and also with the advocacy, and now we are trying to understand the stigma. You know, people not wanting to share their stories, what's behind that, why people are not sharing their stories. Because, for instance, when it came to this current pandemic, people, you know, it was sort of like out there at first, and then now there's sort of, sort of like small stigma attached to it, but then. Not as as bad as TB, when you know when it comes to stigma. So we're also trying to understand the stigma behind that, and also the stigma of people not wanting to go to the to the nearest clinic to take their medication, they rather go to the other clinic so that they don't, they, they their communities don't see them going to the TB room to take their medication. So this is a huge problem, and it shouldn't. TB is just a disease like any other disease, and the best part is that it is curable. But why is there so much shame attached to it? You know, I mean, the, another thing, ah, huh, this frustrates me so much. The vaccine, is only one vaccine for TB. And it is, I think it was celebrating, sort of like celebrating 100 years old last year. I mean, now Corona was here in 2020, and then we have like, they are competing to making this, this vaccine. Why are they not doing something about TB? Whereas TB is the number one infectious diseases, the number one killer of infectious diseases in the world. But then there's only one vaccine that is, you only get it only in like five years. The PCG one, and then for, I mean, even the new drugs, they make the drugs, they are not affordable. The people who need the drugs need to sort of like fundraise for this kind of money to get this drug. Why is there no agency when it comes to TB, but then there's a new disease, now we have four to five vaccines, and only one vaccine that is almost 100 years old? That that doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't know why. I don't know what's the problem with TB. So yes, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure if I answered your question, but yeah.
0: I think it's a really important message to get out there. And Gumeza, what you've done is, is give a, a life story to some of the messages that are going out. So our, our other episodes do call for vaccine and affordable treatment that you know, meets patients where they are. And I think what you've done is, is really you know, challenge researchers and scientists to say, you know, COVID's highlighted what we can do. Why isn't this being done for TB patients? Anybody can get TB. Um, and I think that's a really important message. Thank you for sharing your story. I have so many questions, but I'm going to hand over to Rona to explore that link with research a little bit more. Uh, thank you.
2: Thank you, Kim. Wow. Pumeza, wow. You know, this 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 is a story that I am so glad you know. Um, amongst the many platforms that you, you you've gotten, I'm so glad we've also uh, provided a platform here that you know everybody else can uh, can hear this story. But I just like you know the positivity that that you portray in all of this four year journey that was a nightmare, you know. And, and I'll ask you a few questions about that. But before we go there, Pumeza, how have you connected with science or research? You know, as you tell your story, as you go, through, you know, about the advocacy, how have you connected with science or research related to TB?
1: Like, for instance, I, I, I got deaf. And also our TB proof slogan is that we combine science with our personal stories. And the best example of this is the use of the injection. And also it being not that effective to treating MTR, XDR, T V. So we sort of like, they call it evidence-based. I mean, we, we sort of like, not me, but the other, let's say UCT or other research, uh, research, and then we try to tell them that you need, because, you know, when you tell the the, the people in a conference that injection, we don't think that injection is needed because it has, irreversible hearing loss and then to get to a hearing pet is not something that, that can happen just like that, you know. So we try to show people that this drug is destroying lives. And this drug is not needed because there's a new drug called the betacolin. So this drug needs to be replaced with something new so that they can stop this drug, you know, and also by sharing our personal stories. I know this drug doesn't work because I got death from this drug. That's for one. And also having I have death for five years and having had to lose five years of my life, I don't want another person to experience what I just went through so this is my story this is the evidence that the researchers did and this is what needs to be done there's a new drug it has the same potential to treat mdr tb without having these irreversible side effects so please stop this injection here's take this drug. stop the injection imagine getting injected every day for six months they are run out of places to inject you they are they even no sort of like inject you in your thighs because in your back there's nothing you have sort of like those little bumps, those painful bumps, and then they can't inject on your arm because they say it's too thick. I mean, this injection, you can feel it going down. I mean, someone uh, described it, you know, lava, that hot thing that comes out in those mountains, they describe it as having been injected with lava in you. I mean, you feel numb after getting that injection. Imagine getting that every day for six months. So, yes, we tell them this, we don't accept this. No, there's a drug replacing it with this. Why? Because I experienced that and many others still experience that this needs to stop.
2: Pumeza, you know, every day, all the time we talked about, we talk about lived experience. You know, I don't think we actually know what that means. You know, just listening to how somebody actually feels like this is lava, how you saw all these 30 tablets, you know, in front of you and you thought, okay, this is for the year. and no, it's for the hour, you know, it's for... No, I don't think we understand what lived experience is. And as scientists, as researchers, this is a call for us to listen more and act more. But as you share your story, how has this been received and acted upon, uh, especially, you know, with um, uh, scientists or, you know, people who, who work within the the treatment world but also peers so so you 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 talked about stigma you know somewhere along the way but what else has been in your experience how have your stories been received and also relating to the science and research that they connect with
1: okay so for one there's a thing called stigmatizing language i mean you cannot call people defaulters they are not machines you cannot call people suspects they are not criminals, you know, TB suspects, TB, this, still no. Call people, someone living with TB, call it default, and no, you don't call someone a default, you call someone who have stopped taking their treatment for whatever reason that may be. So there's still that, especially in the scientific world, whereby you refer to, I know it's research, but still, you cannot refer to people while they're in their room, as if they, you know, call them, they, they, they are TB suspects in our clinics, they are TB, you know, words like that, you know. <laughs> No, you know, but then also I, I like the fact that I was given a global platforms whereby I was talking in the in world health organizations. I was also invited at the UN high level meetings whereby, you know, powerful people who actually have the power to change were listening to my story. And, you know, what's refreshing is that after you've done your speech and then someone will come to you and they would like, to you know, clarify something. So you said you got deaf because of the innovation. So what can we do? What do you want us to do? You know? That also gives me sort of like hope, okay? No, someone was actually listening to this. There is potential for change. So I won't stop sharing my story until this change, you know, happens. So, yes, there is that. And also with the research, as I think you've mentioned, um, came something about you never actually sort of like know, you know, have someone actually had lived experience. You just know this through research, which is only sort of like, you know, return was, but having hearing someone actually went through this, So it changes people. And that's what I noticed by sharing my story. People were like, wow, this is a real thing. TB is a problem. TB medication is a problem. Why TB is not being prioritized, like stuff like that. So yes, I think I I managed to do my change in my own capacity, but then it it didn't happen overnight. You know, it was a working process. I didn't work alone. There are also other organizations. There was another, other other people, they also were trying other doctors who were interested in helping TB patients because they were also only treating the patient, but not understanding what the patient was going through. So that, that sort of like um, encouraged me to do more, you know, encouraged me to, to sort of like get other people to be part of this, I will call it the revolution, so that we can try to change what is currently happening with TB.
2: Fantastic, Pumeza, fantastic work. And, you know, you, you just preempted my, you know, other question about what you're learning about, you know, communicating your experience to inform TB responses. But maybe uh, what, what I'll ask you now is what are some of the things that you know now that had you known as a patient would have made your journey easier? Now that, that that you're on this other side where you're also helping with the management of TB, what are some of the things you know now that if, as a patient, you
1: knew things would be a whole lot easier? So, for one, I did not receive any TB counselling, but then now I just learned that there is a TB counselling for people starting the treatment. And also, I I understand now that they were supposed to tell me each drug I was taking I should experience, which is blind. There's actually two irreversible things that happen on the treatment, which is irreversible blindness and also irreversible um, hearing loss. So they were supposed to tell me that you are taking these drugs and then classify them as these drugs, you might experience some sort of side effects. And then if you experience, let's say, something odd or something you can't see clearly, you need to report it, you know. But then on my case, that didn't happen like that. It happened suddenly. I woke up and I was deaf. And then to some people, they actually reported um, having had a hearing impairment in, in their ears. So another thing I learned is that um, when it comes to TB, you actually refuse. You know, you can refuse to say, no, you don't want to take a TB treatment. Or you can say, no, you want to take certain t- tablets. Of which you need to sign something that, uh, when it comes to that. But I, I, there was a thought that came to mind when you just asked me that. I don't think I would have taken the carnal injection if they told me that I should. Uh, I would most likely to get hearing loss. I really don't think I, I would have risked that. But then I don't know. I, I can't know for sure now because at the time I was sick and I didn't really make decisions on my own. But, I mean, you know you, you're taking this drug, it might make you blind, it might make you deaf. And then you know willingly that this might happen. I mean, I don't think anyone would actually say, yes, you know what, I'll take this job and see if I could have. I don't think someone would say that. But then it was something that was back on the back of my mind. But I'm not sure if I was well, going to be able to say that because, as I said, I was too sick to decide on some of the stuff on myself because I just wanted to focus on getting better. You know, so um, um, yes, yes, yes. What was your question again? <laughs> sort of like,
2: I was wondering about, I was wondering about the things you know now, you know, that you didn't know then. But had you known then, you know, they would have made your journey a whole lot easier.
1: Oh, okay, yes. So I didn't know that anyone can get TB before one. I thought certain kind of people get TB because even at the pamphlets you get at the clinic, it says HIV and then forward slash TB. So I thought okay, only HIV people get TB. But I know that that's not true. Anyone can get TB. You know, and also there's a lack of education, lack of awareness when it comes to TB. Even to this day, when we were doing this research, we found people that they thought that they could not get TB because they were healthy compared to the other people who were not healthy according to what they've read on the public's or the clinic. So there is lack of education, or rather there's limited education when it comes to that. It should be sort of like anyone who breathes, anyone who's alive is at risk of getting TB, not only a certain kind of people so there is i didn't know that mice i didn't know that too so now it was sort of like something i have also learned now after i got tb and also while i was doing treatment you know taking this tb medication and um, i've learned that uh people who have managed stakeholders you call them the policy makers you call them don't really care for tb unless it benefits them you know, there's actually another example when it comes to COVID 19. You know, COVID 19, everything was closed. So, no one was, you know, everyone was rushing to do something about it because, you know, the economy was not not doing much. Then they rushed, then they were able to take out lots of money to get these vaccines available. And then, when it comes to TB, they were like, nah, no, no, what, TB, ah, not our thing. Mm-mm. <laughs> you know, there's not much money when it comes to research and development when it comes to TB. And also, the TB medication is very, very odd, it's very, very toxic. No one is giving that much attention. No one is going to develop any vaccine for TB anytime soon unless people actually have lived experiences with the help of other research assistants, researchers who are actually interested in TB. Talk about it. You know, but then ugh, sometimes you just talk, 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 and then no action, you know. There are pharma companies, they are trying their best, apparently, but their best is not good enough on the TV community.
2: <laughs> no, I hear you, Pumeza. I hear you very well. And and I wish we could stay here all afternoon, but, you know, um, we might not be able to. But I think the messages are coming through. They definitely are coming through. My last question will be, um, you know, Kim is a scientist, you know, she has lots of friends who are scientists and researchers who will be listening in and they work on TB and they do care about TB. What do you think is needed from these people? What do we need from scientists and researchers to be able to support the cause more than, you know, to, to be able to support more involvement of people with lived experiences like yourself?
1: Okay. So to people listening to this podcast, be it a researcher or a scientist, just please prioritize TB as you did with other diseases. But the TB, I know it's labeled as the disease of the poor, disease of this and that, and that is just wrong. We need research and development. We need new TB drugs. I mean, as I've mentioned many, many times, the only vaccine that is available is almost 101 years old and that is not acceptable. Please develop develop new drugs that are not toxic, drugs that you can take on the go. Imagine having only one drug for TB. I mean, you can take it in the morning and then you can go about your life, you can go to school, go to work, whatever. But please develop this drug. Please develop. Imagine having prevention for TB, which is the vaccine. Imagine having... Not having to wake up, not worry about you know you might catch this this TV in a bus in a train because there is something protecting you called a vaccine. Just like we are not worrying about catching COVID or catching uh, bad forms of COVID because now we are vaccinated when it comes to COVID. Just do that for TV, and then let's let's see how a world free of TV will be like. How a world free of, of suffering. How a world free of not people having to worry about having to be in hospital for months, to years. Having a world where TB deaths, you know, I mentioned this, TB is the number one killer of infectious diseases. Now imagine a world whereby we don't have to worry about this. TB is a thing of the past. We just go on with our lives. No, no hearing loss, no blindness, no people in caused by TB. So to the researchers listening to this, develop something, please. Two drugs, three drugs, that's acceptable, no injection. Vaccine for anyone, everyone, apparently, so that we don't have to be scared of catching TB again. Because to this day, I'm even, even I have a little tickle in my throat. I was like, ah, can this not be TB? I'll accept COVID, but can this not be TB? Because I know what it means to have TB. So, yes, that that is my message, Rama.
2: Pumeza, I can't I can't say thank you enough, you know, for, for, for the messages. There are lots and lots of messages for the scientists. I think one thing that will stand out for me, Kim, is the language, you know, that uh, it, sometimes you don't even think about it. We, we're saying TB cases, you know, suspects, defaulters. I think that for me, Pumeza, is a very strong um you know, uh, message coming out from my colleagues and I. But I'll hand you back to Kim, who will help us wrap this up and pick up some other messages we can go home with. Thank you so much, Pumeza. This has been fantastic.
0: Thank you, Rona. Thanks, Rona. I think we've captured so much already. Um, Pumeza, you're inspirational. The work you do is powerful. So I just have one more question. I am a social scientist as well, and as a social scientist, we want to bring people's stories alive and we want to communicate those stories in different ways so that the people who are making decisions can hear them. How can we do that better?
1: So the language, you know, you need to to interact with, with, with people as people, not cases. Not suspects, not whatever, not TB patients. No, if he's a TB survivor, ask them how they will like to be addressed. Don't call them a TB. I, I, I mean, I do. I still do attend these calls whereby they still referred me as TB patient. I was like, I've, I've been cured for almost. I mean, you cannot. You calling me a TB patient. So please, you know, as a social scientist, I mean, you know this. You know, respect people as people, not as someone who's attached to something. Respect because. You never know, you might talk to someone and then they might just surprise you because you have this idea that they had TB, so there's no way that they can know anything uh, anything other than having TB. So I've noticed this in me, especially those high-level meetings. You no, know, we have a TB patient here in Pumit. I was like, I am not a TB patient anymore. I was, yes, but now I'm cured. So please respect people as people, not some, you cannot, I mean, it's, it's annoying, it's, it's really annoying. So yes, as a social scientist, we, we need to get, um, there's all this, I mean, there's like, for instance, TB proof we have a group of, of lots of TB survivors, ranging from doctors to researchers, to social scientists, to students, to people who are unemployed, they all had TB. And, you know, you can reach out to those and then you'll find out that most people really want to like to share their stories because for them, it helps them sort of like heal in a way that that helps, you know, when talking about the story, it actually sort of like takes the loads off your shoulders. So, yes, you can you can get connected to other TB, um, TB, TB groups, whereby you can get TB champions or TB survivors. You, again, ask them how they would like to refer them before you can actually not have a conversation with them. So, yes, there are many other, other TB people out there. I call them TV people because we call ourselves TV people, (laughs) but you don't have to call them that. But yes, there are other people out there who actually uh, want to share their stories, they want to be here, they want to be given platforms whereby they can share their stories fully and be listened to and they have something done about what they just told you. So yes.
0: I think that's wonderful advice and a wonderful way to close um, the episode, but you stressed to us the importance of um connections and networks is there any specific networks or places you want to direct people in this episode so our listeners can can go to learn more about um people's stories is there any advice that you want to give to our listeners
1: Okay. Yes. So, for one, TB proof, as I said, we combine silence with our uh, personal stories. So we have a TB proof Facebook page, which I search TB proof, and also we are all, we have a website tbproof.org, and we are on Twitter. And then because now it is the month of World TB Day, there will be some new story. I mean, we can just browse through on our pages, but there will be some probably new stories whereby people from all over around the world, India, the USA, anywhere, Kenya, Cameroon whereby they just share their stories and then it's usually their pictures and then their stories and then it gets sort of like lots of comments whereby people also would like to share their stories. They want to know how they can share their stories. So, yes, you can have a look at that. And also there are other organizations in, let's say, India, there is um, GCTA. It's also They also have some their own TV survivors or Indian TV survivors if you're comfortable sharing Indian survivors. And um, now they just crann away in my head. But yes, but for now, just check out for TVProof.org or just search for TVProof on Facebook.
0: Wonderful. We will put all those links um, in our uh, by in our blog, blurb that goes with the episode as well. So nothing more for me other than say thank you for sharing with us and joining us today. It's been a powerful episode.